He sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20. The message you're about to hear is a straightforward, down-to-earth and insightful teaching by Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Lady Reverend Adelaide serves under her husband, Bishop Dag Heward-Mills, as a pastor at the Lighthouse Chapel International. Lady Reverend Adelaide is a handmaiden of God and is privileged to have been used by God to pastor and to speak the Word of God, both nationally and internationally, to all ages and gender. She has a plethora of messages on many issues, experiences, and situations of life from God's perspective. Get ready to be transformed as you listen to this message by God's anointed handmaiden, Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Jesus paid the price so that every lady here will not define herself by the standards of the world or by what you have heard even from childhood but that your identity should be in Christ. Thank God that we know who we are by the grace of God. Amen. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for this season of our lives. Thank you that it has pleased you to have that she has done what she could conference in this part of the world. I pray that your purpose for this meeting will be established. I pray for the help of the Holy Spirit to speak the heart of the Father. I pray that you know that I say I will please you and I pray that your words will be spirit and life to your people. Thank you, Lord, for lives that will be touched eternally. And thank you for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Please take your seats. Well, we are all welcome to the first day of our She Hath Done What She Could conference. Amen. And I personally want to thank God for everything new that he's doing. I am not so great in terms of, I have always done by the grace of God what I've been asked to do. Amen. So um, when the church started, I had very duties, including making announcements and receiving first-timers. And um, everybody was in follow-up ministry anyway. And then after that, I was also involved in Remember the Poor. And then I was asked to start a Bible study for ladies. So I started with five ladies in NTC in the TV room, in a back room somewhere there. And then as the church went on in the School of Hygiene, I was asked to have the first ever women's conference. And I decided to call it the Complete Women's Conference. And uh, some people who were there are still around today. And um, after that, I was commissioned to start Women with Direction International. And so I did. 
And the Nurse Women International Women with Direction, WWDI, began to take root and grow. The church didn't even have a place for us to meet. So somebody gave us his office in Accra. So every Thursday, we'll go and meet in that office with FCDPI on one side and Women with Direction on the other. And then as it went on and God blessed what he was doing, it started to grow. And then I was removed from WWDI to Daughter You Can Make It. And it's the presiding bishop who gave the name Daughter You Can Make It. And so we went on as prescribed. And then a season came that there was silence. I believe God was birthing something. And then after that, a new vision came called, She Hath Done What She Could. And again, by the grace of God, I just take the baton and I walk and I run. And Paul says that I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. And I'm confident that God will give the increase in every way. Amen. And then also with first fire, I was also given that uh, mantle of baton to run with first fire. But first fire also has a very soft spot for me because I was born again from the age of nine. And um, I know what knowing God early can deliver you from. It can deliver you from a lot of nonsense and a lot of Unnecessary heartache. The world has enough problems than for us to also add on to it. So I just thank God for his grace in delivering me. And because of that, I know that children can have a very fruitful and exciting life in the things of God. And I'm also convinced that children can preach. Because my teacher gave me scripts all the time to learn by rote. And he took me to marketplaces. He took me to universities. Every single university in Ghana, we preached in as children. And grown-ups would cry and give their lives to Christ. And he took us to many high schools. And he even took us to Akunedi Shrine to preach the gospel. And that was the end of our public preaching ministry. <laughs> it's a very fearful shrine in Ghana. And um, I wouldn't say he didn't tell the truth. He told the truth, but he didn't tell our parents that we're going to have a TV show, yes. But after the TV show, we're going to go to the shrine. But he didn't add that one. So our parents put on the telly. It was called Children's Variety. And there we were, performing on Children's Variety. But then as soon as we finished shooting for Children's Variety, we got on a minibus and we went to Akunedi Shrine and we preached Jesus and I saw a linguist come with something. Go, 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 go. If they don't depart now, their heads will be cut off. <laughs> yes. And I saw some black Americans who had come to seek power at that shrine. But somehow, because of the kind of safe teacher or pastor we had, we were not afraid. And we didn't even know that we were in danger. You know, and the group was called the Tears of Jesus. 
So then he would say, the tears, and we would shout back, of Jesus. God's will be done. So when they told us they would cut off our heads, he turned and he said, the tears of Jesus. God's will be done. And then we had given the minibus another time to come, and now we have been sacked. And we are carrying these hand-woven fabrics because we come as if we are coming to do cultural dancing. So we start with the drumming, then in the middle, we say, one day, Jesus was hungry. And I say to the glory of God that those of us in tears of Jesus, there were many winds, there were many waves, but everybody I know of is back to the Lord, back in ministry, and a lot of them are in full-time ministry. So I think that planting a seed in a child's life makes all the difference. And then the amazing thing is that one day I went to preach. I think this evening we are relaxed, oh? I went to preach in a church in Tema. It was, daughter, you can make it. And then when the preaching was over, the service was over, but I was still on the church grounds. And then a lady came with her son and said, do you recognize me? And I said, no, you look familiar, but I don't remember. And she said, I am Mrs. Yamwa, and my saved teacher used to be called, is called actually by me still, teacher Yamwa. So then she said, I am Mrs. Yamwa, look at me. And I said, oh, Mrs. Yamwa, what are you doing here? Would you believe it? My son is a pastor in Lighthouse Chapel. Yes. And I was so surprised. And the son was standing by her. He was now a pharmacist. So I asked him, I knew a son of my Sunday school teacher. But when I was like nine years old, that son was in a court. And that son's name was Bonage. So are you Bonage? Yes, Lady Pastor, I'm Bonedge. I have been established in this church for years. I've been to tech, I've finished. I work as a pharmacist and I'm a pastor in the church. So later when I was thinking back, I'm like, I'm sure Teacher Yamat thought he was investing in me. He didn't know that years down the line, his own son will also find a shelter so through his obedience, he was actually creating something for himself also. So that is what I've come to see, that sometimes you think you are serving God, but actually you are helping yourself. Before I finally get into my short sermon, I want to acknowledge somebody I met not so long ago. I was invited to speak in a church in Boston in April. Get to March, April, early April. So I came to Boston for a women's conference, women of faith conference. And I met the remarkable lady pastor who invited me. She is a professor in 
a university in Boston, I forget the name. She's a doctor, Dr. Latina, and her husband is also a doctor. If she had been a doctor in the arts, I could have um, related to her. But she's a doctor in the sciences, something I hated. But so I said to her, how can you be a doctor in science, a science subject or science, and your husband too? And they said, oh, don't worry, our, our, our son rather wants to be a lawyer. He has no science genes. So I just want to welcome her to say hello to us. Dr. Latina, please come up and say hello to us. And by the way, she's coming for ISI. She's got her visa and everything already. Amen. I'm in my mother's house. Amen. Because I look at this as divine connection. Do you know Elijah and Elisha? Elisha followed Elijah. And I thank God for bringing this woman into my life. I am changed. There are few women like her in ministry. You are blessed, Lighthouse. Count yourselves blessed. Because when mommy came to Boston uh, for the woman of faith, we were so blessed. The women are still talking about that conference. She taught us, and I have a friend of mine. She's also a lady pastor. She said, I didn't even know these scriptures. She was driving to New York, and mommy preached about Yodia and Sinteke. And she said, I didn't know. She said, I pulled off the highway to really see Philippians 4 verse 2. Was that really true? She said, give me all the CDs that she preached. I actually, Lady Pastor Sarah knows that. I've ordered almost a dozen of the books that, uh, that the bishop uh, wrote, and I'm reading them. I'm a professor, so I'm good at that. And I am growing spiritually. And the women are growing. We were so blessed. And I admire you so much. And I thank the Lord. And I, when I heard that you are coming, I said, my Elijah is here. No matter what I'm doing, I'm buying the tickets and I will be there. So I'm here to be blessed. And thank you, mommy. I can't wait to go to Ghana. And thank, for all, thank you for all the support to get the visa. And let me tell you, if you don't take care of her, we are going to snatch her. Because she is ill. And you know what? I teach at a university. I teach master's students. And I teach PhD students as well. But I was so impressed. Even the English that she talks. It's excellent, good English. So you are blessed. Ah, you see, if you are blessed like this, me, I will follow. I'll go to Ghana. 
I will get the anointing. So if you don't go where she is going, we are coming. Next time I'm coming with the women of faith. I am here this weekend to sit under this anointing that I respect so much. So thank you, mommy. Thank you, Dr. Latina, Pastor Latina. Appreciate her. Thank you. You know, the late Mrs. Mugabe is my auntie. So I have a very soft spot for Zimbabweans. Sister Latina, I think you have found your kinswoman. Amen. Well, why don't you turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 26. Are you there? I'm not there yet. Still arranging my things. <laughs> Amen. Matthew chapter 26. Are you there? <laughs> okay. I'm not coming there. <laughs> Matthew chapter 26. Well, it's the story of what we saw this evening. And um, when you read from verse 4, it's talking about the Pharisees. And they consulted that they may take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, Dick's Bible says that Jesus was anointed more than once before his burial. And the woman came in at different times. In some of the accounts, it was in the house of Simon the Pharisee. And the main problem there was that Simon said that if this man were a prophet, he would know what type of woman was touching him. And then he was in the house of Simon the leper. And he, this time the disciples were angry. And they said that this could have been used for the poor. So everybody had their own problem with the woman coming from different angles. Okay? So now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, verse 6, 7, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head at he, as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, to what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? A lot of people like troubling women. You won't give. It's not your alabaster box. It's not your expense. 
It is not something that you own. She has decided to come and pour her oil on the master's feet. And you are standing there. You have a problem. Amen. And Jesus said, why trouble ye the woman? Why? Somebody is worshipping me. Somebody is flowing. Somebody is giving all. You won't give your all. Nobody is asking you about it. This woman is doing it and you are giving her trouble. Wahala. And women have a lot of hassle. And sometimes that's what stops us from doing what God has called us to do. Why trouble ye the woman? Even when a woman wants to be in ministry, it's not easy. When she has to go for a conference, she will be asked, and what about the children? What are you doing with them? But when the brother is going for a conference, he just has to get his suitcase, and then he's off. No issues. And then even when you are going and you are leaving your husband behind, you want to make sure there's this, there's that, that he doesn't round out of this. Then you are in the conference, then you'll be calling. Have the children eating? What about their homework? Have they... Why trouble ye the woman? Why? Issues. Eh? And then, as if it's not enough, you know, the Bible says that when God came to the garden, he pronounced different sentences on the man and the woman. He said to the woman that, in sorrow thou shalt give birth. Your desire shall be unto your husband, and he will rule over you. You see. But we have gone to also add Adam's curse to our curse. So apart from conception and the ruling over, we have also decided that from the sweat of our face, we shall eat bread. And so our troubles are not easy. And then because of the Garden of Egypt that said that you will have sorrow in conception. I mean, we can have gynecological gynecological problems. Amen? Sometimes even it's not that we are having a baby or anything, but it's just every month some trouble must visit you. Every month some people will be vomiting, they can't walk, whatever. I mean, every month some trouble will visit you. So um, why trouble ye the woman? So that when you decide as a woman that you are going to walk in all that God has for you, it's actually a fight. The Christian life is already a fight, but your fight is also at another level. But I'm comforted by the word which says that my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul said, therefore will I glory in my infirmities. Why? That the power of God may rest, not visit, but rest upon me. Amen. So it is from this background that this conference stands, that Jesus said, let her alone, for she hath done what she could. You standing here, you have not done what you could. Amen. All the Ubuntias, the Peters, the, the, the people who the church was going to rest on, and all, they have not done what they could. But this woman did what she could. Amen. And um, we've had many, she has done what she could conferences. And we have talked about various aspects of this passage. But this evening, that's not what I want to speak about. 
I want us to read again verse 10, I believe. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. She had done a good work upon me. Amen. And when you read a similar account in Mark 14, verse 6, and Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? Again, oh, she hath wrought a good work on me. For you have the poor with you always. And whensoever you will, you may do them good. But me, you have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my head unto my burial. Amen. Amen. Now, I want to speak this evening about the woman of good works. Because Jesus said she had done a good work upon me. So, Lady Reverend, what, is the, what, what role do good works play in our lives as Christians? Amen? The woman of good works. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. And I do hope you know where the word of God is. Not where you can find Mary Kay. Now we may say that, oh, Lady Reverend, why good works? After all, we are saved by grace. And by grace we stand. So Galatians 2.16 says that knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we, we, have, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Amen. So as Christians, we are justified by faith. And we are not justified by the works of the law. But we are justified by the good works that God starts working within us and expects us to walk in. The works of the law are different from the works of the Spirit. The works that begin to take place when the Holy Spirit lives in you is different from the works of the law, which is our New Year resolutions and our own um, strength to change things and to do things. So that is different. Now, when you look at James chapter 2, at least, I hope you know where James is. Apart from James being the name of that foolish boy who left you. Amen, somebody receive the prophetic word. Verse 14, what doth it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he has faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto him, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. 
Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. And I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But will thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. Amen. Amen. What's the Bible saying? It's saying that some people say, oh, as for me, I just have faith. Yes, it's good to be a woman of faith, but your works show what you believe. And your works show your faith. It says that if somebody is in need, the person comes and says, oh, just be blessed. Be blessed. May the Lord meet your needs. You are the one that God will use to meet the needs of the person. And he's saying that even though Abraham was the father of faith, his faith was made perfect by his works. And one of the cardinal works was to offer up Isaac as an offering. Amen. So, Lady Reverend, what are the examples of good works? The Bible is replete with so many examples. One of the things I know the Bible says is that if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work, a good thing. Amen. Amen. And so that is one of the works, to desire to be somebody in the house of God. To desire to be a worker, not somebody who likes posts. But somebody who works in the house of God. Amen. When Jesus did all the works of healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, healing the lame, the woman with the issue of blood, raising the dead, the Pharisees said, let's stone him. And Jesus said, for which of the works do you stone me? So those are all good works. And the when you go to 1 Timothy 5, which will come to as we go along, it was talking about the type of widow's who qualify to be helped by the church. And some of the qualifications, Paul said, look out, if whilst her husband was around, she washed the feet of the saints. She helped the afflicted. She ministered to the destitute. Check her record. And if she has done that, then she deserves help from the church. So many of us, yeah, Jesus said, they said, if she had done good works, if she had done good works. So many of us would just, oh, help me. Pastor, help me. Shepherd, help me. This person, help me. But what is your record? What's your resume? What good works have you also done to expect care from the church? Amen, somebody. <laughs> so the woman of good works. Another example of good works is giving your best to Jesus. Which is what this woman with the alabaster box did. She took something that would cost her something. And then she broke the box and she anointed the master's feet. Amen. So now we are going to look at good works. Because we as Christians, as for the faith, we do well in the faith. But <laughs> when it comes to good works, I'm not sure. 
Good works are different from good words. It may only be K and D, but it has a big difference. And good works can also be done in us by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Now, let's turn our Bibles to first. So we are going to look at certain things or characteristics of good works. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 9 to 10. First Timothy. If you are there, say amen. Chapter 2. In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. That's another topic altogether. But in like manner also, it's talking about men lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting into God and saying that in the same way that men are worshiping God, in the same manner that women adorn themselves. What does it mean to adorn yourself? To decorate yourself. To make up yourself. The only areas we make up are the things that can be seen by men. We make up our faces. We make up our hair. Now, we have Brazilian, Chinese, Peruvian. It costs an arm and a leg. But when you go and they say, how much is the hair? You just pay for it. But when they say, oh, they are raising funds for something. You say, hey, how can they charge so much? And we adore now. So some of you, you spend so many hours in front of the mirror. One lady, she told me that when I look at the mirror and I see myself, I just wonder how God could create such a masterpiece. I, I mean, how can God take his time and create such a masterpiece? I said, hey, I'm not sure I've met anybody like you before. You don't seem to be modest. So, oh, sister, mommy, ask for something. If it's a fact, it's a fact. Some of you, you even attend makeup classes. And we go to lengths to look beautiful, like this woman here. She has adorned herself. Sometimes we are even wearing lovely wig caps, but what is underneath it? has not been washed for eight weeks. Amen, somebody. Your roster that you have done, you have not washed it for eight weeks. And your uninitiated husband says that, mm, what is in the room? He doesn't know that it's your hair. The outward, 
Amen, ladies. The men are shocked. It's a revelation. And then, even after you have bought the Peruvian hair, Brazilian hair, it's just stage one. You are now also taking it to go and do it. And that will be another charge and another number of hours. Amen. We are busy adorning ourselves outwardly. Sometimes I go to the beauty parlor and people are fixing new eyelashes. And then when they take the tweezer to their eye, but they are still doing it. And then I asked one of the beauticians, so after you have done this, how does it keep us? Oh, if you put these eyelashes on, then you don't have to wash your face. And you go through all that to adorn yourself. I said, hey, you don't have to wash your face, or how will you come out in the morning? She says, oh, you have to wet a face towel, then you do this, you clean a little, do this, you clean a little, do this. And then, beauty is now in the shops. You can buy it. Any look you want, you can buy it. So we had, <laughs> we had a Mother's Day outreach dinner in Accra. And then, there was a lady who came there, not for the program, but they <laughs> she had been hired by somebody. But... She has also bought all the body. <laughs> and then I think the hotel had contracted her to usher people, but as she was the body part shift. <laughs> so one part of the body became bigger than the other. <laughs> and I said, in the adorning of the body. <laughs> Everything is in the market. If you look at your bus size, you don't like it, you can go and buy. It's everywhere. Adorning of the outward. Amen. Some people, unfortunately, even look at their skin color and they decide they don't like it. So they will whiten their skin adorning the body at all costs. Sometimes even clothes that you cannot afford. You are forcing yourself to do some by force lay by. That is more than oxygen. It's like you are losing oxygen. But just to adorn the body you would go to all these lengths. So Paul is saying, in like manner also, that women adorn themselves. And he knew that, so he said, not with broided hair. It doesn't mean don't do your hair. Some people have also taken the verse to another level. <laughs> not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Because all these things, as nice as they may be, do not have any eternal value. 
But which becometh women professing godliness with good works. He says that we should adorn ourselves in modest apparel. The dressing in the church of God today. We are not temples of God anymore. We are kiosks. Because when you want to buy anything, a kiosk, anybody can go. But when you are approaching a temple, you approach it with reverence. The Bible says, know ye not that your body is the temple of the living God. How come that the temple has become a kiosk? That the way you dress, everybody feels they can stop by and buy some. Everybody thinks you are available. Even when you are not soliciting anything from anybody. And as Prophet Fabian will say, when we call you to come and serve us bread and tea, you give us breast and tea. Because the breast is pouring out. Paul said, a part or a type of good works is modesty and shamefacedness and sobriety. Amen? You do, Reverend. What do these words mean? <laughs> the Bible is saying that don't just be modest. Don't just carry yourself about with shamefacedness and sobriety, but adorn yourself. Let it be a decoration. A decoration is different from a normal room looking nice. You see, this hall, the stage has been decorated. It's been taken to another level. So Paul is saying that if you're a woman professing good works, let the good works show even in the way you dress. Amen? Nowadays, Bishop Saki will be asking me in the church, when the people are wearing their clothes, ah, Mommy, is it that when they made the clothes, the, the cloth didn't, was not sufficient? <laughs> is that why it reaches here? Is it because it's one yard? Should they have added another? I said, no, that's how they cut it. So, oh! And I remember once I was sitting with my husband, somebody came, I said, I think she forgot her skirt. <laughs> Amen. And I said, no. Bishop, she hasn't forgotten her skirt. She has worn her dress and she has come. <laughs> she has done what she could. <laughs> Trust Dr. Lindsay. So the English Standard Version says that likewise, that women adorn themselves in respectable apparel. The things that we wear, do they command respect? And sometimes you wear all these things outwardly. But when you are at home and you are going to bed, then you go and wear jeans. You are a married woman and you wear clothes that are always opaque. There's nothing see-through about what you wear. Opaque. Thick material, damask, you are sleeping. Key, no innovation. <laughs> when you are going somewhere which is important, usually they prescribe a dress code. 
in the same way, if you are the temple of God going to work, moving about, the Bible says, adorn yourself with a good work of respectable clothing. Respectable opera. Amen, ladies. So then the good works, there are some within which we will come to. And there are some also without. But Jesus said, let her alone, for she hath done a good work. And if we are to get the commendation of the Father, then let us start to adorn ourselves in good works. Amen. With modesty and self-control. When the Bible says, with shamefacedness, modesty and self-control, behave as if you are a bit shy. Behave as if you are not too into your face. Behave as if eh, you conduct yourself, you know, as if you have a little shame about certain things. But some of us, the way we manifest... And the words we speak, you know, recently I went to a couple's house and um, the husband knew I was coming, but the wife did not. So then I was with one of our lady pastors. I said, come with me. So I knocked on the door and then I heard the wife. She was sitting in the room and she said, ah, the husband said, come. He said, eh. When you get up now, you tell people to come in. When people just knock, then you say that they should come in. I'm sitting here. Can't you see I'm sitting here? You just get up and say that people should. I mean, what happened? Oh, a major dressing down. So when the husband said, come in, I just, I was shocked for a while. Then I opened the door. Oh, my God. Oh, and she ran into the room. Because I've seen her in action. The Bible says, adorn yourself with shamefaced modesty and self-control. How come yourself, you cannot control it? <laughs> yourself. But if we are to adorn ourselves with good works, then just as you are committed to doing your hair, doing your nails, everything artificial you can buy. If you want your nails from here to the wall, you can buy and everything is an investment. And so it is with good works. So the Bible says that shamefacedness and sobriety is modesty and self-control. An area where we don't have self-control at all is in our emotions. <laughs> they can just go haywire. But the Bible says, as women professing good works, let self-control be a part of you. And the Bible says, the fruit of the Spirit, if we allow the Holy Spirit to take the preeminence, it will yield the fruit of self-control. Yourself will be going to manifest. And then, control. This one is not controlled by circumstances. Some of you, what has made you sober now is the knocks of life, not self-control. Is that boy, he has brought you down to your knees. So now you have become very sober. Oh, yeah. Lady Reverend, even the desire to live, it has gone. But it's not self. 
control. But the Bible is saying that as women professing godliness, you profess that you know God. It says, show me your faith by your works. By your works. Why is it that we cannot see it in you? Self-control in the words you speak. The way you speak. Your criticisms. Your facings. Nobody is saying don't speak the truth, but the way. Amen? The Bible says that speaking the truth in love, we may all grow up into Christ. Amen. Amen. Adorn yourselves with self-control and modesty. Modesty means humility also. Humility. If you are to walk with God, you need humility. But if everything you are going to manifest, everything you have to be right, everything it has to be your way, it's not going to work. Amen? Amen? And that's why so many relationships don't work because everybody wants to be right. But in marriage, you take turns in being fools. Sometimes you are on night shift. After that, the other person is on morning shift. Amen! Said, As women professing godliness, adorn yourselves with good works. Good works have a place. Good works have a place. Amen, somebody. Hmm. First Peter 3, verse 6. In the same vein. First Peter 3, verse 6. Let's read from verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external. Again, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, call him Lord, and you are her children if you do good, if you do good, if you do good, good works, if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Amen. Amen. I read that so that you will understand, but I'm more at home with the King James Version. Hmm? Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair, wearing of gold, of putting on of apron. You see, God keeps reminding us in the scripture because he knows that we are good at that. The wearing of hair, wearing of gold, apron, we are very good at that. But let it be the hidden man of the heart. What is your investment in the hidden man? The man that is not hidden 
is what the natural eye can see. But what about the hidden man, the hidden woman in the heart? Beauty from within. Amen, somebody. Let it be. It means it depends on you. Allow it. Permit it to be the hidden man of the heart. In that which is not corruptible, everything else is corruptible. Can't you see the hair after you have worn it for a while, it becomes frizzy? Can't you see after you have worn it, it comes together and you can't comb it anymore? Short life, corruptible. Can't you see the clothes after you have bought them, they don't fit you anymore? Can't you see your size changes so easily? In that which is corruptible. It's so corruptible. The things that we invest in are so corruptible. Can't you see your beauty? It's also corruptible. You used to be Miss Philadelphia. How are the mighty falling? Today when people pass by you, they don't even know you are Miss something. <laughs> used to be a very good athlete in your school. Today you can't move your body and we wonder how you were even selected in that which is corruptible. <laughs> when the people come and dance, sweet papa, you say, hey, my waist, when I tell you, it doesn't go in that which is corruptible. Amen. The young people don't know that you were more supple than them. When you tell them, they can't believe it. Because the corruptible has become corruptible. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So why do we invest in that which is corruptible? The Bible says the ornament. An ornament is a piece of jewelry. Of a meek and a quiet spirit. Which is in the sight of God of great price. I am not saying that this is what good works are. It's the Bible. It says that the women of old adorn themselves with good. With good. So if we want to do good, we must follow Sarah's example. Which is in the sight of God. In the sight of men, it may not look like anything. But it is when time has run and at the end of time that you will see that you made a better investment than other people. A meek and a quiet spirit. The word meek means Tamely subject to injury. It means that you are going through injury, but you react to it in a tame way. As opposed to in a wild way. You know, tamely subject to injury. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, for I am meek and lowly. Meek. And meekness is something that Jesus said, blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Amen. And so to be able to be tamely sub the injury is there, but your reaction to it is so tame, it's almost as if it's not painful. And that allows healing to take place. And it allows you to even understand what you are going through. 
And it allows you to hear God's word about whatever it is that you are going through. But when you are not tamely subject to injury, when you have small injury, you start manifesting all over the place. That's why some people come to me and say, this, is my this happened. I can't believe it. I can't take it. I, can't. I said, oh, you can't take it. He said, why are you saying that? I said, oh. Because when I look at what I've seen, I think it's a bathtub. And then what you are bringing is a teaspoon. You'll be okay. God will take care of you. Amen. When you choose to obey God or, into, or to be in the ministry, there are many things that will injure you. There are many things that will be painful. But whether you can be tamely subject to them. And that is why it's something of great price. Anything that's of great price is difficult to buy and afford. And it's not easy to get. It is only precious stones that are listed on the stock exchange. Not sand and clay and those type of things. So when something is an ornament of a meek spirit. You know, sometimes people say, my spirit is broken. The Bible talks about a wounded spirit. You know, a broken and a wounded spirit. It's something that can happen to you. But when it happens to you, can you be tame whilst you're going through it? Can you be tame while the pain subsists? Can you be tame whilst things have not changed? Can you be tamely subject to injury? That is when you are now beginning to adorn yourself with good. Amen? Amen. Look at the life of Sarah. I always say it's a classic message for a woman who wants to follow her husband in ministry. You are in a country. You have settled with your husband. You worked for many years. You have retired. You are enjoying your pension. Is it 401k? Oh, 1k. You are enjoying your 401 or whatever you call it. And then this is your old husband who can hardly stir the tea properly at 75. He comes to tell you that God says that he has called you to come out of your family, your nation, your father's house to a land where I will show you. It's okay if the place has a name. Even if it's Saudi Arabia, Iraq, it has a name. But this one doesn't have a name. It says, to a land where I'll show you. It's not easy. How do I park? What type of climate do they have there? What are the facilities that are there? And what do I need to prepare for? What type of jobs are there? All my friends have made them here. For more than 70 years. Now you come suddenly, you say, God has called you. And I have to follow you just because I've married you. That's why marriage is a very serious business. Oh. When you are choosing your head, you must choose carefully. Oh, and see whether you can follow. Because I think that it has more implications for a woman than for a man. Amen. And so she decides to go by faith. But as she has gone with him, he goes to collect this nephew. And they have so many issues. The headsmen are fighting, the this, the that. And then they separate. When they separate, you are in your peaceful house. No, Abraham comes to tell you that he now has to put together an army. Really? 
Who are the soldiers going to fight? Oh, your houseboy, your gardener, your driver. All those born in my house, they are going to fight. He has immediately put your life in jeopardy. He can go to the war and not come back because of this foolish lot and his foolish decisions. He can easily go to the battle and lose the battle. All that will cause injury for you. How will you survive through it? Sometimes injury rather gives birth to bitterness and resentment. Tamely subject to injury. But for all Sarah's trials, the one that I find most disheartening is when Abraham gets to a strange land and says that, tell them that you are my sister. Remember, I didn't say God had called me. Number two, I didn't say I wanted to leave my country, my kindred, and my father's house. Number three, I followed because you were my husband. And then now that we have come to a dangerous place, you say, you know, you are very beautiful and uh, they would like to kill me because of you. So sister, you are on your own and I'm on my own. <laughs> That's why the best person to build your life on is Christ. And not any human being. Amen, ladies. And the way we get there, you know that the people don't believe God. The king takes me into his chamber to rape me, to molest me, to beat me. Not You are not there. I didn't come on the journey, remember? I didn't choose to be here. You brought me. And you have come to stand here with a marriage vow, say, stand by you in all things. Not knowing it was a poem. <laughs> or a nursery rhyme. But you didn't really intend to keep it. All that is injury that unless you are tamed to, you cannot continue the journey. It takes Jehovah God to come into that bedroom to rescue Sarah and to say, Abimelech, why? I have come because you have another man's wife with you. And that is why when the Bible says the Lord will fight for you, it's for real. And after that, Abimelech sends them out and says, go and give them all the riches and the wealth. And Abraham appears again ready to profit. <laughs> ready to profit from the sheep and the goats and the things that have been given. How can you not be better? How can you even still continue the journey? Some of you modern wives, you would have taken the next flight backwards. Do you understand? <laughs> hey, why? Don't I have relatives? Don't I know where I was coming from? You leave me in the hands of where I'm going to my father. Who gave birth to me? And who cares for me? What do you mean? I was sitting my somewhere when you came, okay? Because of green card, it has now become pink card. Or even red card. Amen. But Paul says that the ornament of a meek and a quiet, quiet because many times something stirs you up to run all over the place, to react all over the place, to freak out all over the place, and to fight your own battles. Say, so look, the Lord will fight for me. He will not fight for me. I will fight for myself. 
I've been waiting for the Lord to fight. He seems to be asleep. Now, I've won my own whatever. And I, I eat a powerless. He's now called powerless. A meek and a quiet spirit. The Bible says, in quietness and in confidence shall your strength be. But contrary to what we think, quietness looks like you are being a fool. Quietness looks like it's not going to achieve anything. But the Bible says, in God's sight, a meek and a quiet, a quiet spirit that waits for God's time. A quiet spirit that employs God's methods. A quiet spirit that goes according to God's ways. That is when you can say you are a woman professing good works. Good works. When everything is going well and you don't freak out, it doesn't mean anything. It is when you are squeezed, that's an orange, what comes out of you is the time of pressure. That shows us what is within, whether it is a meek and a quiet spirit or another spirit altogether. It is when a tea bag is put in hot water that the tea comes out. Otherwise, it looks dry and is standing there. What comes out of you when you are under pressure? It is in the sight of God of great price. And then it continues in verse 5. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God. Trust in God is part of your adorning. Adorned themselves. The holy women also who trusted in God. If you don't trust in God, not much can happen. Because, humanly speaking, in fact, it's not easy. <laughs> Carnally speaking, it's not possible. But the holy women who trusted in God adorned themselves in this way. Meekness and quietness shows your trust in God. Amen. Being in subjection unto their own husbands. I was preaching in Jesus Generation Church on the Monday and I left on the Tuesday. And I was saying, I mean, isn't God wonderful that he continually says, wives, be in subjection unto your own husbands. Because you easily are in subjection to everybody else's husband. Except yours. When the pastor says, can I have some tea? You say, pastor, which kind of tea do you want? Do you want ribose tea? Do you want Earl Grey? Do you want green tea? Do you want ginger and vanilla? Pastor, which tea do you want? He asked for just tea, and you are now offering him hibiscus and all this. But your own husband, even hot water, hot water, it's a problem. Amen, ladies. Says another way of adorning ourselves is being in subjection unto your own, your own, your own, your own, your own, your own husband. Amen. And then as I went on, we also saw your own wife. It wasn't easy on that Monday. 
your own wife. That's when I didn't even say I saw it on the stage as I was standing there. Your own husband. But today we are talking to ladies. Amen. And when we got to your own husband, the room was quiet. When we're talking about your own wife, the men were standing, preaching, saying, but it came to your own wife. It was like a cemetery. Amen. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, instead of calling him, hey there, hey there, ho, hell, or I'm, I'm his father in Ghana. <laughs> Even Frida Baba. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, as long as you do well. As long as you do well. Another version said, as long as you do good and are not afraid with any amazement. Amen. It is saying that as Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him Lord, that is also a good work that you can do. Amen? I think it means recognizing the headship of the man in the house. But what I'm happy about is that when the Bible talks about submission, it says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as unto the Lord. So some of the things, they are not unto the Lord. I'm saying something. Sometimes the things that you are asked to submit to, they are not unto the Lord. The Lord will not do that. So yes, submission. But not in the midst of physical abuse. You beat me to pop and I say, okay, submit unto your own. Ask unto the Lord. Amen, ladies. As unto the Lord. And I also think that if that part were not there, submission would be very difficult. <laughs> because you always be looking at the mind and say, this man, he does not deserve my submission. He doesn't deserve my respect. He does look at how he treats the lady reverend. What about the part the husbands love your own wife? So unless you look at Jesus, you cannot obey. Amen. And I believe that is why it is a good work. Because, yes, unless you love God, you can't obey certain aspects of the scripture. But the love of God will constrain you. And the love of God will help you to even love the unlovable. People who don't deserve your love, because of God's love and the fear of God, you are able to love them. Because it's divine, love divine. You do what? <laughs> yes, I'll do it for you, Lord, easily, because your submission is us unto the Lord. In anything that we do, if we look at human beings, we'll fall short. If you are doing good and you look at human beings, they are ungrateful. When they are even leaving the church, they won't even bid you farewell. <laughs> and sometimes the sacrifices. You left your sick children to go and attend to their sick children. 
You left your wife that you hadn't seen for two weeks just so that you would go and console somebody else's wife. You almost had the accident. You slipped on the snow and you still went. You saved their marriages. But when they were going, they didn't have the courtesy to say goodbye. And not only that, if even they would just let sleeping dogs lie, but they are waking the dogs up to be barking all over the place. They've left with criticisms. They don't remember anything that you did. But unless you remember that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You can't. No, 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 no. You won't survive. You won't survive. Looking unto Jesus, I tell you. So in submission, everything that the Bible says, we have to look beyond the people we are supposed to do it to and look to Jesus. And the Bible says we will be blessed in our doing. It's God who rewards our good works, not man. Amen. So, well, tonight I'm just introducing the topic. <laughs> and it says that we are Sarah's daughters as long as we do well or we do good, another version says, and are not afraid with any amazement. Amen. Amen. Now, when you look at the English Standard Version, it says that as Sarah obeyed Abraham, if you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening, if you do good, Sometimes when you do good, you can be afraid. You can be afraid if you were the woman with the alabaster box that you will run out. You can be afraid that your resources will be depleted. You can be afraid that God may not give back to you. And you can be afraid about anything by saying that if you want to be a woman professing good works, whom God celebrates, like he celebrates Sarah in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, then you have to walk in Sarah's footsteps. And it shows us the things that Sarah did, or some of the things. One of it was she was in submission unto her own husband. She called him Lord. And also, she was not struck with amazement. But I'm surprised at the English Standard Version rendition because it says that if you do not fear anything that is frightening. So the thing is frightening, but don't fear it. Amen? And I used to think that fear was allowed if the thing was frightening. If anything is frightening, then you should be afraid. But when you don't have cause to be afraid, that's when God says fear not. But it's not true. Because when Jesus was in the, with the disciples in the boat, the storms were real. The winds were real. It was real that the boat was filling up. It was real that the boat looked like it was about to sink. It was real that the Jesus they were depending on was asleep in the bow of the ship on a pillow, Mark says, just in a very comfortable position. All these things were real. But he said, where is your faith? So fear is not because the things are not real. But fear, fearing not, is when the things look real, 
You have a real cause to be afraid. And the Bible says, if you're a woman who wants to adorn yourself in good works, learn not to walk in fear. Even when it looks so real. You've gone to the doctors, you have a report. It's there. Why will you not be afraid? You'll be afraid. Even sometimes you hear about other people. Or you hear about a missing Malaysian airline. When you are boarding the plane, it occurs to you. It occurs to you fully. And that's an airline I've flown so many times. Whenever I'm going to it, because it was a very nice airline. And a missionary in India, Reverend Peter, he, he came to Ghana a few days ago. He was telling me that when he was coming, he went through the Philippines because it's under him to see the mission work there. And then when he was buying his ticket, the agent called him and said, what about Malaysian Air? Yeah. <laughs> and he said, hey, brother. Then the agent said, you know, it will amaze you to know that the price you are paying for economy is the same price for first class. He said, it's okay, first class, I don't like it. I will sit on my economy like that, even if it's the same price. Because of your issues, you have now reduced your price. No! How can I be sure? So even some things have not happened to you, but the fact that they have happened to others, and you know that you are a man of like passions, it can make you be afraid. When you look at it, you say, hey, God, everybody is going, oh, what about me? This thing is happening all around, oh, what about me? And then before you know, you have developed a spirit of fear. But it says that we can be the daughters of Sarah if we are not afraid of things that are frightening. Hey! And we can only get to that realm if we walk by faith and not by sight. Because as for sight, the things to be afraid of, plenty. But we need to be women who walk by faith. I think that even in the area of marriage, a lot of us don't walk by faith. We walk by what we see, what we experience, what we are told, the things we are seeing. But you can walk by faith. Faith that God is able to change things. As to when and how, you don't know. But you just know that he's able to change things. Faith that that marriage that you know that, Lady Reverend, this one there is over. It will never work. I'm going. The way he behaves, I'm going. I'm going. I'm going. But unless you see with faith, like Abigail, that even this fool cry can marry him. I need wisdom from God, then I can marry him. The Bible says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And with every temptation, not with some, he will provide a way of escape. So I have learned to ask God, when I, I get through a difficult place, to a difficult place to say that, which way is the way of escape? You need a fire escape. The thing is burning. Eh? Are you going to sit there for the thing to burn you down? No. You need to know where the fire escape is. You need to know where you can run. And only God can show you that in the time of temptation. Amen. And when you find the fire escape, you can come out unscathed, although the burning is going on. Amen. Whose daughters you are, as long as you are not struck 
with amazement. Or you do not fear anything that is frightening. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. The holy women who hoped in God adorned themselves with good works. Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11. I believe we are just warming up now and very soon we will close and tomorrow we come back. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive. Amen. I want to read from King James. By faith, Sarah herself, through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive, seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. So the reason why Sarah was not afraid, even though there were frightening things, was because she was a woman of faith. And through that faith, she received a certain strength to do the impossible. So faith is not only that God will maybe change the situation, but faith that you can be strong enough to give birth to something that takes you through that thing. I don't know if you understand. By faith, Sarah herself received strength in herself to conceive a seed. You see, God says, okay, you will give birth, your, your child shall be the heir, all the promises are there. But even the strength at that age to bring forth the promises of God, it had to be by faith. She has to believe that she's strong. She has to believe that she has received strength from God to birth that difficult thing, which is still a promise. Amen? So ladies, we need faith. Faith that we can be strong in the midst of adversity. Faith that no mountain is bigger than you because God will always give you the necessary strength to conceive that seed that he says that you should conceive. Amen, ladies? And you are daughters of Sarah if you follow her faith journey and was delivered of a child when she was past age. Why? Because she judged him faithful who had promised. Unless you have an attitude about God's faithfulness, that it is real. We are not going anywhere to happen. And many times, sometimes in impossible situations, seeming impossible situations, I have come to the place where I say, God, you know, I didn't say, I, it wasn't my idea, I'm just here. If you really want to change anything, it's up to you. I only ask for strength to survive this season. Amen. Amen. By faith, Sarah receives strength. Whose daughters you are. If you adorn yourself with these good works that Sarah walked in. God bless you. (laughs) 
It was great having you today. To find out more about the resources available by Adelaide Heward Mills, please visit the Vision Bookshop at the Kodesh, North Kaneshi, or meet her on Facebook at Reverend Mrs. Adelaide Heward Mills. For prayer and counseling, please call 0243-187-900. You can also drop us an email at honeyonmylips at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, God richly bless you.